Ministry Mentorship, Episode 16. Hello and welcome to this episode of Ministry Mentorship. This is Jacob Tapia, and you're listening to a podcast dedicated to connecting apostolic leaders with young ministers for the purpose of helping them develop in their ministries. In this episode, we're going to be talking with Jerry Jones. Brother Jones is the General Secretary for the United Pentecostal Church International. He has served in this position for many years and is well known across the apostolic movement as a tremendous preacher and leader. In this recording, you will hear about his journey into ministry and gain other helpful advice on ministry-related topics. Let's join the conversation now. We're here today with Brother Jerry Jones, and Brother Jones is, serves as the General Secretary of the United Pentecostal Church International, and it's a position he served in for 15 years. Uh, him and his wife, Phyllis, have been married for 40 years, and they've been, uh, he's been involved in ministry for over 40 years as well. Uh, he's pastored in Metairie, Louisiana. He served as the general youth president, and he's also evangelized for eight years. Uh, Brother Jones, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Uh, tell us a little bit of your story. I am from a old Pentecostal family. My, my maternal great-grandfather was a Pentecostal preacher. Both of them were, as a matter of fact, on my mother's side, both her grandmothers. And uh, one was a lay preacher. The other was, uh, for a brief time before his death, licensed the United Pentecostal Church. My grandmother received the Holy Ghost in the 20s and uh, served the Lord all of her life. My mother uh, received the Holy Ghost as a girl, got away from the Lord when she attended college, but then came back to God when I was about ten, nine or ten years old. Unfortunately, passed away, and my father married my mother's sister, who had served the Lord faithfully since a seven-year-old girl. And it wasn't long until the entire family was in the church. Uh, my dad was no stranger. His mother had had the Holy Ghost. She passed away when he was 16. But although he wasn't in the church through all those years, I remember him saying, I'm not anything, but if I were something, I would be a Pentecostal. And so my dad got in, served the Lord until his death just uh, two weeks ago. And my uh, entire family, in fact, several cousins, my my um, dad's uh, brother, his whole family, uh, first cousin, his whole family, they all came in after my stepmother's influence came into our lives. We moved from California, where we lived, from my earliest memories until I was almost 13. In 1965, it was, it was at youth camp in Louisiana that I received the Holy Ghost. I went to college as a physics major uh, at what is now called University of Louisiana at Monroe. And um, there I've acknowledged my call to preach, preached my first sermon in February of uh, 1971. I did not go back to college after my freshman year, but began evangelizing. Evangelized until I became pastor in Metairie, Louisiana, a suburb of New Orleans. Um, in 1977, I pastored there until 
1985, when I came to work in the youth division here as general youth secretary. I was here for eight years as secretary and president. And then in 1993, I was elected to serve as pastor here in the St. Louis area in the suburb of Bridgeton at New Life Center and was there until uh, 1998 when I was elected to serve as general secretary. So that's pretty well my story. When did you first feel the call of God at leading you towards ministry? Um, I received the Holy Ghost in June of 1966. And I, I believe I almost immediately began to feel that uh, God had a definite uh, plan for my life that I would not um, pursue my own dreams. But I I had my doubts about that, I had doubts of my ability and so forth. And plus, I I had some already some pretty definite idea of what I wanted to do with my life. And so I pursued that all the while, particularly by the time I was 15 or so, I began to get involved in um, I spoke at some youth, local youth meetings and surrounding churches and things of that nature. Not, didn't call it preaching, but speaking. And, um, I, I began to kind of have this dual mind, you know, and only when it all came together when I was a freshman in college did I make the commitment that I would abandon what I wanted to do with my life and surrender to what God wanted to do with my life. So the simple answer is, I, I can't give you an exact date when I first felt it, but all my teenage years, I felt that God was calling me that way. Talk about your your personal growth and personal development as a young minister. What, what did you What did that look like for your your Bible study, book reading, Bible plan? What What was kind of that personal development plan that you had as a young minister? I made a conscious decision not to attend Bible school for a number of reasons. Uh, probably none of them very good, but they were my reasons. And I knew then that I would be starting behind my peers, and I knew um, that I could not take for granted what I knew. On the other hand, I had been blessed with an interest in study and reading and particularly the Word of God. I'd been a Bible quizzer in the infancy of that program and had in a time when you were encouraged to fully understand the Scriptures and we charted Paul's journeys and, you know, a lot of maybe a little different approach than today. So it was an easy transition. I was also blessed that I was able to make a living evangelizing from almost the beginning. Back then, particularly in small to mid-sized churches, pastors were, it was very common to have two-week revival, three-week, four-week was not out of the question. Church might have three of those a year, maybe more. So there was a demand, and you could stay busy, and I did. So when I was single, before I met my wife and married, I pretty much set up a habitual plan, carried my books all with me, and 
Uh, you drove everywhere. You didn't fly anywhere. Stayed in pastors' homes and evangelist quarters and so forth. And I would set up, you know, my little library, and I committed myself to do what I considered as parallel to a Bible school course as possible. I even was able to track down some books on one-year Bible study, three-year Bible study type things, and followed some systematic approach. Obviously, um, uh, it's impossible to duplicate what you can get in a formal learning environment, and uh, I, I don't fool myself that in any way I was able to do that, but I did commit myself to that, and after a while, it becomes a lifelong habit. And on the, in the other arena, I was very blessed to preach for, preach revivals in an era when you became very much connected with the local pastor. And you would go with him to hospital calls, and you usually ate your meals at his table, and you'd set up late at night after church discussing things. And I was mentored by many men over the course of those years, maybe only in two-week segments or three-week segments. But then, you know, friendships and relationships struck up that, you know, blessed me from then on. And while I was trying to get the book learning, not entirely on my own, but in large measure, I was also growing from my study of real-life ministry, pastoring, preaching, discussing the Bible and, and current events and problems and issues and uh, with some great men. And uh, I was very blessed in that to be evangelizing in that era. So I had that influence in my life. And then, of course, I had an outstanding pastor, Billy A.E. Carney, who put a lot into us. He produced scores of preachers from the little country church I'm from. And many of them went on to very successful and well-known ministries, uh, such as G.R. Travis, of course his son James Carney, uh, Jerry Dillon, and on and on we could go, Larry Webb, who pastors in Florida and so forth, that all of us were greatly influenced by his godly example of a real-life Christian, a man of God who loved people but preached truth and found a harmony in that. So my spiritual and intellectual and biblical development is rooted in those early years. And of course, after I married, and we continued on and, and to this very day. So, What would you say to that? young man or that young lady that is saying, I want to have those kind of mentor relationships. How do they, how do they connect with that? How do they make that a part of their life? Understand, first of all, that, that elders want to help. They, they, they want to perpetuate what they have dedicated their lives to. They have no interest in going to the grave holding secrets about ministry, about God, about the Word of God. They want to do that. They're not adverse to doing that. Now, quite obviously, many of them are 
you know, are involved in that in a formal way or an informal way that might prevent them from being particularly active in your life. But you never know until you ask. And my advice would be to watch for opportunities. First of all, get in, involved, get engaged, be at camp meeting, be at district conference, be anywhere uh, preachers gather and great men of God gather and hear them preach and look for opportunities to connect. One of the one of the great influences of my life that began in a very distant way, uh, as a young man, I attended a youth conference, one of the early precursors to what is now called Youth Congress that was held in Houston, Texas. I've always had a kind of a scientific bent, obviously, being a physics major. And Brother David Gray taught a lesson on evolution. And I've never forgotten it. I can still hear it and picture it in my mind. Later on in life, I was privileged to preach camp meetings that he was also part of the teaching or preaching team and was able to sit it in restaurants and chat with him. And then later we had a phone relationship where he would call or I would call and that he greatly influenced, greatly affected my life. But I had to seize that opportunity. Had it just been a high how are you and move on? But in my opinion, it is the young person's uh, responsibility to seek these mentors, not wait for God to send them or for the mentor to approach you or to be invited to participate in a more formal mentoring program. Become proactive and meet preachers. Preachers are not put off when someone comes up and shakes their hand. And, and uh, in fact, I don't know any of us that don't enjoy being reminded that what we're doing matters to people. No one, no one doesn't need affirmation. And if you come and sincerely thank a minister for his ministry and what he's meant in your life, that opens a door right there. Now, I don't mean you push your way in, but I mean you maybe ask, can I email you questions from time to time? Would it be okay? That kind of thing. And he'll let you know if he can. She'll let you know if she can. If they politely decline, fine, no problem. But many of them will certainly at least open a um, a beginning of a mentor-protege relationship and and help you as much as they can. You should always be respectful of their time and their energy levels and so forth because you don't know what else they're engaged with and how many other young preachers or uh, other other young people or even middle-aged folks or how many pastors they are counseling and so forth. But the underlying is be led of God if there's someone that you feel you would love to learn more from. And don't be hesitant to talk with them. But keep your expectations low of how much time and energy you're going to get from them. Uh, I never had a point in my life where I only had one mentor. Once I left my local church, I always had many mentors in my life, many men that that I could call on, that I could question, and, and that were willing to help me during whatever issue 
or whatever need I had. So that would be my basic advice. You know, while you're talking about this, I, I think of, of the importance of, of conferences, and one of those is our general conference, which is a great, a great opportunity for a young person that feels a call to ministry. I mean, if they can share a hotel with somebody or, or stay with a family or somebody close or drive in, but it's just a great opportunity to rub shoulders with ministers that are there. I mean, they, they're there because they want to be there. They're involved and and they're open many times to connecting with young people and that's that's a great place to do that absolutely that probably is the best place it's it's not as pressure high pressure and and you have you have nationally recognized pastors uh ministers who are there and they're again they're there because they want to they they would be open to someone shaking their hand or introducing themselves. The the format is not such where it's church from eight in the morning till midnight. And so you can walk down the hall and and see almost any number of ministers, uh young, old, male, female, um, pastors, evangelists, um, officials, uh, whatever. And yes, you're you're 100 correct. That is a great venue, and I would urge any young person to make every effort to spend at least a few days at General Conference every year. Talk about talk to that young person right now that is an assistant or is maybe working in that administrative role. How do we stay confident and secure that you know I'm doing the work of God, and this is where I need to be. Well, that comes from inside. That, that is, obviously, there are external supports that confirm that. But if, if there is not that internal assurance that you're in the will of God, then no amount, no volume of outside affirmation is going to hold you there, because that only goes so far. So the first thing I would say is... Be comfortable in your own skin and where you are and what God called you to do and commit yourself to wherever you are today that you will do the very best job you can. That while that doesn't mean you have to declare to the world, I'm a youth pastor and I'll be a youth pastor till I die. That's a pretty nonsensical statement because young people aren't going to follow a 75-year-old bald-headed guy, probably. So to say that, it, it, you don't need to say that. Everybody knows it's not so. We signed up to do what we were asked to do by the Lord first, and then to walk through doors of opportunity that are opened to us. That's what we signed up to do. And that means that where I am today is where God wants me to be. So I'm going to commit to that, and I'm going to do the very best job that I can knowing that one day I may step through another door. And when I get through that door, I will do the same exact thing. I will do my very best because that is where God chose to put me. And I I think that frame of mind, that no job is beneath me, no position, no place, is is something that is not good enough for me, 
I, I think at the same time know that I'm going to commit myself to personal growth and personal development and more and more availability to the will of God, and and God will open the door when the time comes, and it will happen. I think that helps generate that internal confidence and that internal uh, recognition that I am in the will of God, and and um, wherever I am, that's where God wants me. And then understand that God uses human instrumentality to accomplish his will. And if where you are, the pastor or whoever you're working for feels it's time to move on, in my case, it would be the two-thirds or one-third plus one vote of, <laughs> of my fellow ministers would be telling me it's time to move on. And, you know, or I would feel it from the Lord and 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 would know it's time for me to be doing something else. So accepting the circumstances and the open and closed doors and that men do make decisions that affect me, but that's not carnal altogether. That if, you know, I've often thought of the comment of Joseph to his brothers, they literally sold him into slavery and then lied to their father and, and put him to rest, got rid of him. And later he said, you meant it for evil, but it was all the will of God. God meant it for good. I am exactly where I was supposed to be, no matter how hard the road was for me to get here. So I think we have to approach our entire ministry that way. God, I'm in your hands. I will do my best wherever you put me. And when that changes, then I'll keep doing the same thing. And God will open those doors to a sincere and open heart to whatever some, you know, we all have our dreams, and that's fine. But understand that God has a plan that may not involve our dreams coming true. I'd like to transition here and, and just in the time that we have left to just talk about preaching. Now, you, you've preached all over the United States, and, and I think many of the people that are listening to this broadcast uh, would say that they've heard you preach or they've been impacted uh, by your ministry. Can you give us a couple tips on how we can develop our preaching as young people? The fundamental understanding of preaching, the philosophy, if you will, behind preaching is vital to grasp. And that is that preaching is the premier event in the church. It is not a sideline. It is not our calling card, but everything else we do is really what matters. If that's how you feel, then you do not have a pulpit ministry, and you're called to do something else. But once you understand that preaching is premier, now, I know we hear the other side where a young man, that's all he wants to do, and he's not interested in being a servant. He's not interested in learning, you know, to be a pastor. All he wants to do is get in the pulpit. Well, he's got more problems than that because he has no fundamental understanding of the servanthood of ministry, and that must come first. But I'm talking about <clears throat> mature men and women who have a call to the pulpit on their lives, and they understand that being in the pulpit is 
while it's premier, it is predicated on who I am outside the pulpit, my submission, my attitude, my willingness to serve. All of these things make what happens in the pulpit possible. When you get that understanding, then preaching becomes beyond me impressing anybody, me demonstrating talent, ability, learning, uh, charisma. It becomes about fulfilling the purpose and the, and, and the reason there is such a thing as preaching, and that is to affect those who hear and affect them in a way that they will respond to the Spirit and the Word of God in a positive way. Now, once your mind is off yourself, you know, how well did I do? Now, I don't mean how well did I do in the fact that it did its job, it did its purpose, it affected people. I mean, you know, did I use the right words? Did I connect? And were people impressed? Did people like it? Blah, blah. Once our mind turns from ourselves and turns toward our hearers, then there is a fundamental change in how we approach preaching. And that affects every avenue and aspect of our preparation, of our presentation. Um, there, There is a, a concept of preaching that, that goes along with this. It, we find it in in the classic definition of preaching given by Phillips Brooks in 1877 in a course of lectures delivered at Yale University. Brooks says preaching is the communication of divine truth through human personality. It has to communicate, and that's a skill that can be learned. It has to be divine, and that brings the anointing, the power of God. It's not my opinions. It's not my commentary on current events. It is divine truth. And there is life in truth, in divine truth, that has its own uh, ability, its own power, and it accomplishes the purpose. But it is delivered through human personality, and that affects the effectiveness, the power, if you will. So going even back to Aristotle, who was not talking about preachers, but he was talking about what he called persuasive rhetoric or the ability in a public discourse to change people's minds, to persuade them of something they had never heard or never thought of or actively disagreed with before that time. And he basically... In different words, he basically said every persuasive, effective persuasive discourse or speech or sermon has three components. One is the preacher, his reputation, his honesty, his genuineness, his demeanor. The second is the preparation that went into it, if it's haphazard, if it's shallow. If it's if it's um, if it's not biblical, if it's based on human ideas, philosophies, opinions, um, and then thirdly, it's made up of the presentation. So the preacher 
the preparation, and the presentation are the three components of every sermon that determines not whether it impresses anybody or gets you invited back, but it determines whether you affected people's lives. If we're not real, it will come through. If we do not prepare or if our preparation is based on something other than God's Word, I'm talking about the fundamental truth we are preaching. And if thirdly, we do not know how to effectively communicate that in a public setting, how we conduct ourselves, our word choices, the clarity of our speech, our ability, for example, to choose a theme or a thesis or some call it a purpose statement and clearly communicate that one fundamental idea and do it in a way that 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 reaches hearts and brings an emotional response, the, the, the soul response that saves people both eternally and from bad decisions and wrong life choices, then if, if all of those things are in place, a remarkable, a remarkable event happens. If one of them is lacking, then it can still carry a man for his whole life. He can even be popular and people want to hear him. But if all three are in place, then a supernatural and otherworldly event happens. And that is the anointed preaching of God's Word that Paul describes when he says the preaching of the cross is the power of God. He, he tells us that it and it alone can save, and not by our choice, but by God's choice himself. And when we recognize that this is not just talking about a slapdash, haphazard, prepare it 15 minutes before service type thing, we're talking about a confluence of the best of the human and the, and the incredible power of the divine and the power of truth, then remarkable things happen. The last thing I would say is believe in preaching. I don't mean getting up and enumerating people's problems that they've shared with you. That's not preaching. I'm sure not talking about just getting up in an empty, shallow, pop culture-oriented dissertation about how to balance your checkbook or how to treat your 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 boss or your employees. None of none of those things are bad in themselves. I'm just saying that's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying preaching has a power within it that will heal, that will save, that will deliver, that will turn people completely around for wrong choices and wrong decisions, that'll bring health to a church, that will bring revival to a church, that will spark response in an entire community that will do more than we could ever do in some less activity. And and we have plenty of those, and I'm not against any of them, but I'm just saying the power is in the preaching of God's Word, and that is true biblical preaching. It is the power of God. Believe in it. It works. Amen. 
I wonder in closing if if you could just take a minute and just say a prayer over that young person that is feeling the call of God right now, and maybe they're they're battling with uh, their background or feeling like, well, I'm I'm not good enough as a preacher, or I could never do that. Uh, could you just pray for that young person right now that is feeling that tug in their heart for ministry? I'd be glad to. Lord Jesus, first I thank you for this young person who is open to your call, who is willing, oh God, to follow this ancient calling and join the long line of preachers that have and will continue to change the world. And I pray, Lord, that you would help them understand, first of all, nothing matters except the call. It's not about their skill level or their talents. It's not about who their dad or granddad or anything like that was or are. All it's about is you and them that you have called. And who you call, you will qualify. You will give them the tools they need. You will help them understand that this is a joint venture between the earthly and the divine. That it is lips of clay touched by the coals of the altar. It has a change affected our world beyond our imagining. And I pray, O oh Lord, you would open that idea in their hearts that they would be willing to grant you their whole heart. That by surrendering that whole heart to follow you wherever it leads, whatever job you have for them, whatever calling you lay on them, I pray, O oh God, you'd help them be simply willing that they will become great because of your call and your plan and your purpose in their lives. Give them courage. Give them inner strength. Give them a love of the truth, a love of your church, and a love for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Brother Jones, thank you so much for, for agreeing to, to join us today for this interview. Is there any way that, that a young person could get in touch with you if they had a question or if they wanted to know more uh, information about ministry? Absolutely. My email is jjones, J-O-N-E-S, at upci.org that would be the quickest and easiest way to reach me great well thank you again and we just uh pray that you have a blessed day and thank, thank you, you for thank you for all that you're doing for our organization i appreciate that much and thank you for this opportunity you've been listening to a ministry mentorship podcast with jacob tapia find out more about this resource by going to ministrymentorship.com where you will find more interviews, inspiring quotes, and other helpful resources that will encourage your development in ministry. You can also leave us a comment, subscribe to our newsletter, make a donation, or connect on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening.